I am curious if this is how you pictured 4th of July weekend 2020 looking like. Now, I don't think it's a stretch to say that we would all be in agreement that, that this is nothing like we would imagined it to be. The year has been uh, different, to say the least. I, let's recap the year so far, shall we? Brush fires in Australia, a drone strike in Iran, Prince Harry stepped down, presidential impeachment trial, Kobe Bryant and eight others died in a helicopter crash, Brexit becomes a reality. That's just January. Now add to this presidential race, Tiger King, Killer Hornets, no toilet paper, <laughs> King Jong-un, whether he's dead or alive, UFOs, shootings and murders, protests and riots, and let's not forget a pandemic. It, it reminds me of, of a certain moment where you ask the question, where are we? Well, we are in the pit of despair. Now, I'm not sure if it's possible to experience, to witness all of these things that I, that I listed and, and many of the other things that I left out and not feel a sense of lament, a sense of sadness, or, or even grief. But our lives are, are more than just headlines. Your life, your world has been filled with ups and downs this past year as well. And these moments don't necessarily make the headlines. But to us as individuals, they feel like leading stories. We all have these moments in our lives that are filled with grief and sorrow and pain and anguish. I, for my Self and my wife Jessica and even my family later this month will remember the loss of our 18-week-old son. Almost a year ago, I woke up to Jess calling for me. She was in the bathroom and she had just delivered our son, Timothy. Now, I've had the privilege of, of witnessing uh, the birth of my nine children. I've also been with Jess as we navigated three miscarriages but I was not prepared for what I walked into. It was traumatic. It was scary. I had just lost my son, and now I am going to, to watch my wife die. Now, I'm grateful for the EMTs and their quick response and care, and as I watched Jess go in and out of consciousness, I prayed. After the ambulance raced Jess to the hospital, I prayed. As I cleaned up all the, the blood that was in the bathroom before the children woke up, I prayed. As I drove to the hospital, I prayed. The sheer chaos of that moment prevented me from really understanding what had just happened. Oh, but, but later, sitting next to Jess in her hospital room, that raw, painful truth hit me. I remembered holding in my hands, my lifeless son. Fingers and toes created perfectly, but still. 
Now, I'm not sharing this story with you for your sympathy. Because, brothers and sisters, I know that you in this room and, and those that are at home watching, you all have stories of pain and grief. You all have stories of, of suffering and anguish. I mean, the lists are long. Death, abuse, divorce, losing a job, broken relationships, illness, broken dreams, large and small. We have all experienced firsthand suffering. And we have all firsthand witnessed it in the lives of our loved ones, our church, our communities, and in the world we live in. C.S. Lewis, in his, in his book, A Grief Observed, he writes this, We are promised sufferings. They are part of the program. We were even told, blessed are they that mourn, and I accept it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it's different when the thing happens to oneself, not to others, and in reality, not imagination. So whether it's personal grief and loss, or the pain of, of suffering that you see around in the world we live in, it's, it's often hard to know how to respond. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'm going to ask that you open them up to the book of Lamentations. We're going to be this morning um, looking at the book of Lamentations in chapter 3. Lamentations comes right after the book of Jeremiah and before Ezekiel. Uh, the Old Testament can be broken up and divided into five sections. Five books of the law, twelve books of history, five books of poetry, five of, of the major prophets, twelve of the minor prophets. And Lamentations can be found in that section of the major prophets. Now, as we prepare to, to look at Lamentations chapter 3 this week and next week, it would be helpful for us to speak just a little bit, for a moment, on some authorship and context. Now, this book is, is made up of five poems. Five poems written by an anonymous author, although many scholars believe it to be Jeremiah. But the author here is writing about destruction and siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. So these lament poems that we see, they have the, and here in Lamentations, is the author describing the devastation and call for help. The punishment by God the suffering and responding to God's goodness, as well as a petition to God and a prayer for restoration. One of the most well-known verses that comes out of Lamentations actually comes out of chapter 3. Verses 22 and 23, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But I want to use our time this morning to look at what comes before that decree. So we're going to go back and look at, at Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Follow along as I read. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. 
He has barred my way with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion and hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel and he has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I hope for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. This morning, we're going to look at just three points. We're going to look for a painful path, perspective, and preparation. We can see the path. In verses 1 and 2, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. The grief and suffering that the author is speaking about is the utter destruction of Jerusalem. This was God's judgment and wrath. We know that pain and suffering demonstrates itself in different ways. And we can read in Job that the suffering and loss that he endured was not judgment and correction. But what we read here is just that. God has used the Babylonians to judge the people of Israel. We also see this in the words of David in Psalm 38.5, My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. In Psalm 51, David is in pain and, and repentance is needed. The pain or the path of our pain and the path of our grief and the path of our suffering and brokenness matters. Pain that comes from living in a fallen and broken world will help to shape us and ultimately draw us closer together. And he's working on perseverance in our lives. Romans 5, 3-5 shows us this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Suffering that is used for character and endurance, and there's suffering that is used for judgment and correction. There are two paths. You don't need to live a long time to know the difficulty in distinguishing these two paths. I'm not even sure I would tell you that they're always separate. But make no mistake, there is suffering and grief that you are dealing with because of your sin. And there is suffering and grief that you are dealing with because God is using it for your growth. Look back with me at verse 2. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. This is a distinct path, one that feels of darkness and no longer has light no longer feels as if it has light. As I reflect on the loss that I had a year ago, I find myself looking at these two paths. 
I know God has used it for my character. I know that God has used it for my care for others. I do not know if it was a corrective response to my sin. And I know I'm not alone when I ask these questions. Recognizing which path will, will, not, only, will not always have an answer. And I, and I know that sounds convenient for me to stand up here and say, but we need to keep looking for opportunities to grow in our sanctification. And we need to be open to God revealing sin in our lives. And then we need to be quick to confess and repent. We need to look at the path we're on. Paths of character and growth, or paths of sin and repentance. And, and sometimes they run very closely together. Our, our second point is perspective. Now there's personal perspective and there's outside perspective. Let's, let's look back at the text. We're going to look back at, at verses 3 all the way almost to the end. And I want you, as I read this again, I want you to listen for all the me's. I want you to listen to the pers- personal perspective that's being written here. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape, and he has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from my path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow, and he made me target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I am the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone, and all that I hope from the Lord. He's looking out at a destroyed city. And, he, and he's writing these words. This is personal to him, although he speaks for a nation. Now, perhaps you are not as eloquent with your words or as poetic, but has there ever been moments where you have felt frustrated or misunderstood, angry or sad or depressed or numb? Abandoned or guilty or remorseful, fearful or anxious or or even just ambivalent. Your perspective on the pain and grief you experience greatly impacts how you heal, how you receive care, and how you see and speak to God. I, I know in past moments of suffering and past moments of grief, I have been incredibly angry with God. Mad for what he has taken from me. Mad that I felt it was unnecessary or too harsh. Mad that I didn't have control over my life like I thought I had. You, 
your perspective, how you see your pain, shapes how you see God, shapes how you speak to God, shapes how you receive care, shapes how you give care. There's an illustration called the ball in the box. It's used to illustrate how we heal over time and a reminder that pain is always still there. We're all too familiar with the phrase that time heals all wounds. I would push back against that statement and just say that time certainly helps. See, in the illustration, we can see that there is a ball in the box and a button. The button is the pain. Every time the ball hits the button, you feel the pain of your loss. Now, over time, the ball reduces in its size, and the ball becomes less. The ball continues to get smaller, but the ball and the button are always still there. And when that button is pushed, it brings back those feelings, it brings back those memories, and it can even bring back those questions and laments that we have for God. Although it is diminished, not as frequent, it can be just as raw, just as painful, and just as real. Your experience and your perception are your own. Two people can experience the same loss, suffer the same tragedy, and will respond very differently. Again, notice the me statements in this text. We could witness the same tragedy, we could witness the same suffering, and we would respond very differently. Brothers and sisters, do not expect others to suffer the same way you do. Your pain and your grief does not always provide you with a free pass, however. You are still accountable for the things that you say. Yes, even in your hurt, you're accountable for how you speak to other people, how you interact with other people. You may feel that you've been walled in. You may feel that you've been devoured by a lion. You may feel that you are being mocked and made to eat gravel. And it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be raw and exposed. And it's okay to feel grief. Just remember that other people will share a different perspective. So even in the care that they come and and try to share with you, Even the words they use, you need to realize they're coming to you with a different perspective. And you're accountable to how you interact with them as well. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 27. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We're all a body, but yet different members. When one part suffers, we all suffer. We just see the suffering different. We perceive the suffering different. And as we look at, at outside perspective, it's, it's easy. Oh, it's so easy for us to take the seat of judgment. 
It's too easy for us to determine for others which path of pain they may be on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or admit to do, and more in the light of what they suffer. It's it's easy for us to expect people to move past their hurt and their grief and to get back to normal. We like normal. One of the reasons we want to be normal and we want to return so quickly is because grief makes us uncomfortable. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't know what to say when someone is hurting. It's inconvenient. It's unpredictable and it's just messy. I mean, we see this displayed for us in the way our society deals with suffering. When we see suffering as a society, our response is easy. We make a few social media posts, we read some headlines, and we quickly move on to the next tragedy or the next news story. I forgot there were fires in Australia at the beginning of the year. The whole continent was like on fire, and six months ago. I'm worried about wearing a mask right now. How quickly we move on. And and how does this look in your, your family or community? How do we respond? Well, we, we send a card or we tell them that we're praying for them, and, and both of these are very good things. Maybe we reach out to them, offer a meal, offer to listen. These are good things. But in the midst of those good things, let me just offer you a suggestion. In your card or your text, the note you send or the conversation you have with the person that's grieving, fight the urge to share your relatable story. When we look to comfort, our desire is for the person to know that we understand. Fight that urge. Okay, just think with me just for a moment. Imagine just for a moment if we were more transparent in our struggles and in our grief. If we were more willing to speak about death or illness or conflicts or loss, others would know. We would make our stories known. And when others know about your journeys through suffering, then they already know who to seek out when they're walking through theirs. They already know you can relate. And it frees you up to just listen and to care. Now, remembering that your perspectives will be different and the way that that you respond and the way that each other respond will be as well. But it also means that you don't have to start the conversation with, we've had a miscarriage too. My spouse died too. I have depression too. I was diagnosed with cancer too. If we're all being transparent, if we're all laying out our grief and our suffering so that we all know where where we are, then it's, I already know your story. I know you can relate. How much deeper do we already start? 
And when we have the opportunity to speak, remember that you're coming with an outside perspective and you may not have all the information. Be careful of your judgment. Do not tell them what path you think they're on. Be willing to just sit with them. Listen to them. And if all else fails, hug them. I know, not with right now, but you know what I mean. And our final point is preparation. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is full of sin. Pain and grief and suffering are a result of sin. Scott Swain, in an article for the Gospel Coalition titled, The Heart is Not a Cup, There's a Better Metaphor, he reminds us that if we failed that we fail to appreciate that from a redemptive historical perspective, these are days of sorrow. It is not yet the day when God will wipe every tear from our eyes once and for all. We will suffer grief and loss. We will suffer pain, every one of us ourselves, our families, oh, our children, our neighbors, our church. It's, it, it will happen. And it will happen because Christ has not yet returned. We are still in the days of sorrow. Look with me at verses 19 to 21. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. As we prepare for suffering, knowing that it is to come, it waits to not, it, it waits for us. This is, you need to look back on your suffering. I remember, he writes. This is not my first experience with loss. This is not my first experience with grief or pain. I remember them. Now, does this mean that you create an immunity towards suffering? No. Does this mean that you've experienced every kind of grief? No. Does this mean it hurts less? No. But what you have is the knowledge and the wisdom. What you have are lessons and answers. What you have is patience and understanding. Because you remember... In a Nine Marks article in 2018, Dave Furman shared five ways that pastors can prepare their churches for suffering. Preach expositionally. Don't forget the Old Testament. Make the church a safe place to talk about pain. Talk about heaven a lot. And build a culture of care. These are indeed things that Pastor Joel and I strive to do. Are we perfect at it? No. No, we're not. But I think it's more than just the pastors. 
I think this translates really well to the church at large. Read your Bible. Read the Word of God. Not just devotionals, not just pieces here or there, not just flip through and find something, but read through your Bible. Connecting the story. Spend time in the Old Testament. Lamentations or Psalms are a great place to jump in. Talk about your pain. Boy, we are quick to hold on to our pain. We hold it close. We don't want people to think less of us. We don't want to bother people. We're embarrassed. We don't know how to share it. But, brothers and sisters, help me make this a safe place. Help us create an environment that it's okay to share your hurt and your grief and your suffering so when another brother or sister walks through that same path, they have someone who they know has walked it before. Remind yourself about heaven. Meditate on it. Reflect on it. Brothers and sisters, this is not the best place. This is not your home. There's something much better waiting for us. And then celebrate a culture of care. We do this well. Continue to care for those around you. And and this is such an individual thing and situations that are so different. And, And as a church, we, oh, as a church body, we walk well together. But being present with each other and praying for each other are great places to start too. And I, and I do not want to end this morning without us looking at the end of verse 21. The very end of verse 21. You find the word hope. We have hope. And we will spend our time next week, Lord willing, talking about this change in direction. But you shouldn't leave here this morning feeling that you are left to just suffer alone or that the pain you feel is forever. We have hope. That hope is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Mediator. Martin Luther said, Christian suffering is nobler and precious above all other human sufferings because since Christ himself suffered, he also hallowed the suffering of all his Christians. Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, we we have been given hope. It is easy to look at our lives, to look at the world around us and feel hopeless, to feel like we lost. But brothers and sisters, we know how the story ends. You can read the last, like you can go to the back of the book. We know there will be a day without tears. We see this in Revelation 21. So let us pray together. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and thankful for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together. We thank, we're thankful that we can oh, sit relatively close to one another, that we can hear others sing with us, that we can worship with brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for the many volunteers this morning. Father, we 
grateful that there's nursery and twos and threes this morning. Father, we're also thankful that you have, oh, that you have provided your son for us. That as we walk through the pain, as we walk through the anguish, as we walk through our grief and suffering, we are not alone. But Father, would we be open to the path we're on? Would we recognize suffering for character or suffering for sin? And Father, if it's character, would we embrace that? Would we strive to do so to bring you honor and glory? And Father, if for it be sin, would we confess and repent quickly that you would get honor and glory as well? Father, ultimately, the suffering and pain that we feel is a result of sin in this world, but you use it for your good. We do pray for the brothers and sisters that are in the midst of it now, that feel lost, that feel walled up, that feel that their paths are crooked. Would their names come to our minds? Would we pray for them? Would we oh, recognize the perspectives that we have as we approach them and speak with them? And then ultimately, Father, would we continue to prepare ourselves by remembering the pain that we've walked through? Would we spend time in your word? Would we grow in our knowledge of what is to come? And would we be open to sharing with our brothers and sisters here in this church? Father, again, we know this is only possible through your Son, your Son who has given us hope, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name this morning. Amen.